There is an echo of the maker in what's made. If you trace back a symphony or a machine or a structure, you see something of the life and the mind of the creator. Even if you can't see them directly, you can learn about them from their work. You can find a bit of their mind in there. So what if we looked this way at things that none of us made? The things that were made by something else. Tonight, we're going to try to look for the mind of God. Not in a particular object, but in the fundamental states and substances of physical reality. Stay tuned. Alright everybody, welcome back to another episode of Swedenborg and Life. Great to have you all here. If it's your first time, thanks for joining us. Uh, Hopefully, I'll try to explain things as we go. Basically, we're going to try to figure out the meaning of life uh, in sequence. So, my name is Curtis Childs. I'm with the Swedenborg Foundation. I'll be your hosts for the evening, and we want you to be a part of the program. We take live questions and comments. Just get them in on YouTube or wherever you are. We'll try to find them and have them be part of the show as the show goes forward. We'll answer them at the end. Okay. So today we're going to delve deeply into correspondences, uh, which is the study of symbolism in objects. There's, like we said in the description, we weren't lying, there's sort of this greater echo across the, the levels or planes of reality, as Swedenborg described. We're going to take a look, but first we've got to set a few things up, so we'll begin with segment one, the spiritual sun. So if we're going to take this trip, we're going to have to load a couple things into our our brains or our mental backpacks. I don't really want to push the metaphor too hard, but we're going to have three things, and we'll symbolize them by three little dots here, okay? And we're going to fill those up because we're going to need these as a foundation for the mindset that's going to take us into this cool understanding of this stuff. So the first one lurks in Divine Love and Wisdom, Swedenborg's book, Divine Love and Wisdom, 28, which it as 125 here, but it's really 28. Uh, we'll, in post, we'll put a little over that. The true divine essence is love and wisdom. If you gather together everything you know and focus your mind's insight on it, and look through it carefully from some spiritual height to discover what is common to everything, the only conclusion you can draw is that it is love and wisdom. These are two. These two are essential to every aspect of our life. So not only in that little snippet of text, oh, so that's the first one, Bing. Not only in that little snippet of text, not only is he saying the two essential elements of God are love and wisdom, but that everything in our life is formed from those as well. So that's part of what you need to know if you're going to walk down the road of uh, light and heat correspondences. The second thing we find in Swedenborg's True Christianity, number 39, divine love produces life the way fire produces light. Fire has two qualities burning and shining. Its burning radiates heat, and its shining radiates light. Okay, it's pretty legit. Likewise, love has two qualities. The burning quality of fire corresponds to one of them. It is something that affects our will at the deepest level. The shining quality of fire corresponds to the other. It is something that affects our intellect at the deepest level. This is where our love and intelligence come from, because the heat that radiates from the sun in the spiritual world 
is essentially love, and its light is essentially wisdom. That love and that wisdom flow into each and everything in the universe and affect them at the deepest level. In us, they flow into our will and intellect. Both were created as vessels to receive what flows in, the will as a vessel for love and the intellect as a vessel for wisdom. So there's a lot of material in there, um, but hopefully uh, you could pull a few things out of there. The ones I want to focus on are love and wisdom are received. These two elements are received by us in the intellect, in the will, which you could call mind and heart, our thoughts and feelings. Um, uh, The second one is that God is like a sun in the spiritual world. And Swedenborg actually describes this uh, imagery a lot, the, the Lord as a spiritual sun. So we have a little image of that just to get in your mind that he says that that God, it's not that God is a sun, but that God radiates everything, radiates this love and wisdom, these essential elements like that, uh, like the sun radiates light and heat in the earth. So that should fill up our second little circle. We have two yellow circles. We need three to pass the segment. So for the third one, let's look in divine love and wisdom number 83. So this says, there are two worlds, one spiritual and one physical. They are completely distinct from each other, communicating only by means of correspondence. Warmth in the physical world is the equivalent of what thoughtfulness does in the spiritual world, and light in the physical world is the equivalent of the truth that faith perceives in the spiritual world. So this just completes it. We have our third circle, pink. What it does is completes the description that love and truth, or love and wisdom, are in the spiritual world what light and heat are in the physical world. They communicate via correspondence. They are analogies of each other. They are symbolic of each other. So with that in mind, with those three things in our backpack, like I said, I wouldn't get too far into it, backpack, say backpack. You guys seen Dora the Explorer. Okay, so we have those in our backpack, and we're going to take them And now, since we have those elements, we can look at light and heat, and with that lens on, be seeing in the physical elements echoes of the divine and of the essential parts of us. So, you ready? Let's take a look. Let's get to part two. All right, so to begin, let's have Swedenborg lay out uh, further this correspondence of light with truth or with wisdom. This is in Divine Providence, number 166. The reason we are taught by being enlightened, and you know that word, he says, comes from correspondence, you know, enlightened. Uh, There's light in there because this is something that we all understand at a certain level, so we sort of form our language around it. Being enlightened is that enlightenment is an attribute of both our learning and our discernment. Since our discernment, the sight of our inner self, is enlightened by the spiritual light exactly the way our eyes, the sight of our outer self, are enlightened by physical light. There is the same kind of teaching in each case, but our inner sight, the sight of our discernment, is taught by spiritual objects, while our outer sight, that of our eyes, is taught by physical objects. There is spiritual light and there is physical light. Outwardly, they seem to be alike, inwardly, they are different. Physical light comes from the sun of the physical world and is essentially dead, while spiritual light comes from the sun of the spiritual world and is essentially alive. This latter light enlightens our discernment, but physical light does not. Our earthly and rational illumination come from spiritual and not from physical light. So he's saying that just the way light makes objects visible and makes situations understandable physically, the truth or wisdom does the same thing in the mind. 
For analogy, pretend you were had to walk across a room uh, and that you could see the exit there at the end of it. But as soon as you start trying to set out, bang, like you're knocking into stuff, you're knocking stuff over, you're hurting your feet, you don't really know what's happening. Think about the effect that on the situation. Suddenly you know, oh, this is a tool shed. Uh, there are spaces between these tools. That's where I can step. This is why I couldn't go across. It just, it, it makes such a difference physically. And that, that light, that the truth, spiritual light, does the same thing for our mind. Because aren't we just banging around inside our consciousness with our sort of thoughts and feelings and our memories, our emotions, this kind of stuff that doesn't always make sense. We don't always know how to navigate it. But with this kind of light that comes spiritually, we can. So that is correspondence. But light does a lot more than just let us see inside of the garage. There's all kinds of effects it has on the natural world. We want to talk some about its effect on plants and animals, on biological systems. So we have Dr. Cooper, who's a biologist who's been on the show a few times before. She's here to talk a little bit about how the length of days, which is an increase or reduction in light, affects ecosystems. So here's what she had to say. Light does more than just affect temperature and climate and the amount of light. It's the length of time that it's light versus dark and that's called day length or photo period. So plants have certain hormones that respond to this photo period, and it's based on cytochrome, but auxins and gibberellins are promoters of growth, and they increase with the increasing day length. And abscisic acid is an inhibitor that increases during the dark periods. So day length affects growth of plants. It affects when they flower. It affects when leaf fall happens in the fall. And it's usually a chain of events caused by these hormones that are related to day length. And then animals are also affected by day length and it affects breeding and gestation and growth and it's mostly related to melatonin in animals. Melatonin accumulates during the dark periods and so animals know how long the day length is. So I wanted to introduce that because Swedenborg often talks about nature as a metaphor for the human mind. And not just a metaphor, but a representation. Uh, the, the consciousness and the physical world and ecosystems and natural systems are all kind of mirroring each other. So just think about what it means, the idea that more light or less light changes the foliage or the flora because the plants, trees are like the systems in our mind according to Swedenborg, that the thoughts and the feelings, the convictions, the stories that we have are like plants and that they respond. So just like the room responded positively to having light, now you can navigate it. In the garden of the mind, without light, you know, when, when the light diminishes, trees drop their leaves. Like when you don't have this truth, you have uh, the ability to 
flourish like you would when it comes in. And that just the idea of this overall, the truth that you're learning, the things you understand, that kind of feeding into the things in your mind, the concepts you have, those you act on daily, and animals being sort of the emotional side, and that even that responds to this so less light, less spiritual light, certain things go hibernate, certain things slow down, some things... So it's just cool to think of the mind in those terms, all right? So we're going to... But let's take it even to the next level by talking about levels of light. And this is from Divine Providence 166. There are three levels of light in the spiritual world. Heavenly light, spiritual light, and spiritual earthly light. Heavenly light, the light of people in the third heaven, is rich and flame-like. Spiritual light, the light of people in the middle heaven, is brilliantly clear. And spiritual earthly light is like the daylight in our world. It is the light of people in the lowest heaven and in the world of spirits that is halfway between heaven and hell. In that world, though, it is like our summer light for good people and like winter light for evil ones. So, uh, briefly, in Swedenborg's worldview, the, the different heavens, all these divisions he's talking about, it has to do with how open your mind is to this love and wisdom that come from God. Not uh, a reward for what you've done good, it's uh, how open are you, and that, that the more we receive those two great elements, the more they can pull us up uh, or let us down if we shut them out. Um, so, in there you see he's talking about these different levels of light, and that how high or how open you are changes the kind of light you can observe. So you have this sort of higher grade light the higher you go up. And he talks about it more in Heaven and Hell 137. He says, in heaven, this is just about light as something that you can see by, but light as something that has power. In heaven, it is divine truth that possesses all power, and apart from it, there is no power whatever. All angels are called powers because of divine truth, and are powers to the extent that they are recipients or vessels of it. Though they prevail over the hells and over all who oppose them, a thousand enemies there cannot bear one ray of heavenly light, which is divine truth. As are angels, because of their acceptance of divine truth, it follows that all heaven is from this source and no other, since heaven is made up of angels. People cannot believe that this kind of power is inherent in divine truth if the only concept of truth they have has to do with thought or speech, which have no power in them except to the extent that other people concede it by being obedient. There is an intrinsic power within divine truth, though, power of such nature that by means of it, heaven, the world, and everything in them was created." So light can be powerful. If you're thinking about the light we're talking about so far, it's like it's nice, you can see by it, but where is, where is light powerful? If, you, if there's really this truth that's, that's like weapons-grade truth, what do we have on earth that's, that's a mirror of it? Well, we went on a little trip, a little field trip to Temple University in Philadelphia, and we met a guy who told us all about a very, very high-powered form of light, lasers. So I'll introduce you to him here. My name is Johanan Odner. Um, I'm a postdoctoral researcher at Temple University uh, with the Center for Advanced Photonics Research. I study um, molecular dynamics, ultrafast laser spectroscopy, so how molecules behave when you hit them with intense light in order to understand molecular processes and also understand nonlinear, like how the laser pulse itself changes when it interacts with matter. So this, this, you saw that loud. There's all these machines. There's all this stuff to take light and make it really intense and really powerful. And I think, even though there weren't laser labs when Swedenborg was around, I would think this, this has some kind of cool correspondence. So we're going to dig into it a little bit here. Now, you see this thing right here? 
it's been like our intro and all of these little intros to these various subsections, that is a laser or that's the reflection of a thing that's made by lasers. And what we'll show you a little video that shows you what that is and where it is and the little point that's making it. So take a look at this. So I don't know if you could tell because the camera is 2D, but that little point, which is like a plasma, I think, is the thing that all that light is streaming out of on that, just on a sheet of paper that we taped it on. So we want to tell you about what that is and what, you know, we're getting into, isn't this cool? We're getting into these like ethereal kind of, this is like really like 0.05% light, meaning like this is like the top end of light. So let's look at, at what is it and how could it apply to correspondences. So that particular light that you were just looking at has a sound that goes with it. And if you've got your headphones cranked up, maybe lift them a little off your ears because it sounds like this. All right, so, and that, it's beautiful, isn't it? Uh, so here we're going to have Johanan explaining what that sound is. So the, the sound that you're hearing is, is the shock wave. Uh, every time you go in there and you make a plasma, you rip all the electrons off, that creates a shock wave after you've done that because there's an, a gas expansion. You heat everything up really, really fast. So you're hearing shock waves. That's that sound. So we're going to hang with that sound for one more clip because Johanan is going to describe for us how, what that little ball is and how it's making all those uh, awesome patterns on the wall. So here he is describing the teeny tiny point of light. We're focusing it with a lens and the intensity where we've got that little plasma, it's just an inconceivably large number. It's like 10 to the... 15, 10 to the 16 watts per centimeter squared. And so it's so intense that what it, it's just ripping all the electrons off of every molecule that's in that little focus. That's what you see is you see it, the plasma and the fluorescence from all the molecules that have been super duper excited by this laser pulse. So do you have your correspondences hat when you're looking at this? So we're talking about this is light that is focused in such a way, it is ordered, that is structured in such a way that you have this intense power. It's creating these shock waves. If you stick a little piece of paper in front of that thing rather than behind it, um, it will burn. Like it's that powerful. So we're starting to see these are some of the things that light can do. And are these analogous to this power of divine truth? Uh, that Swedenborg talks about in heaven. All right, and we're going to talk, we're going to show you one more uh, laser contraption that gets you to a perfect circle of white light. So take a look. What we do here is we want to generate all those colors and we want to um, use them to investigate things, but we have to do it in a really carefully controlled manner. So we make this blue light and then we uh, also make white light using a filament, and this is really bright. And so what we do is we focus it very loosely and very carefully in a long tube and when it comes out the other end, instead of this, this really irregular, messy white light, you create just a perfect circle of white light. And so that, that has all the colors of the rainbow down to the UV, up into the infrared, has everything in it. So white light is not that hard to come by. Turn a flashlight on, we have some white lights in this room lighting things up, but here's explanation there that to get a perfect white light that has 
all these different colors, everything in the spectrum in it. You have to do this, you have to have all these machines and do all this stuff. And to me, knowing what I know uh, about what Swedenborg says about order uh, and God working through order, that, this, that isn't that white light like this is like, this is divine truth. Like this is the, this is the like, this is the pure truth there. And that, that you have to work to get something like that. And you have to build the right receiver for something like that. So that, that is what I'm talking about, light correspondences. So that, that's how you look at it. And instead of uh, me telling you what to make of it, I just want you to let your imagination go on it. We're going to do a little thing where we let a few of these images play on the screen with some tunes in the background. And knowing a little bit about with, that you know now, based on what we said earlier in the show about what light means, what it could mean. Just see, where does your mind take you? How are these things images of divine truth and the human mind or whatever it is there, whatever you get out of it? So take a look at, and let me know in the comments what you find. Isn't that, isn't that a picture of something, heavenly something? Isn't that a picture of the secrets of something, of something? Hopefully you agree. <laughs> All right, like, so we've taken a look into light. Now, as promised, let's go the other way. Let's talk about heat. So again, let's let Swedenborg set the stage for and ex further explain the correspondence of heat. And this is from Secrets of Heaven 3338. Heavenly warmth comes from heaven's sun, which is the Lord, while worldly warmth comes from the world's sun, which is the light source we see with our eyes. Heavenly warmth reveals itself to our inner self as spiritual kinds of love and emotion, while worldly warmth reveals itself to our outer self as earthly kinds of love and emotion. The former kind composes the life force of our inner self, the latter the life force of our outer self. Without love and desire, we could not possibly survive. These two kinds of warmth also correspond to one another. When the Lord's life flows in, it turns the two kind of, kinds of warmth into love and emotion. So it does not appear to us to be warmth, but it is. If we did not receive warmth from those sources in both our inner and our outer self, we would instantly fall down dead. These things are plain to anyone who considers that the more we burn with love, the warmer we grow. The more love dies away, the more sluggish we grow. This warmth is what our will lives on. So there's a lot of terminology in there, but, but a couple of takeaways, if you ask me. Uh, one is that the, the, there's two kinds of sort of emotion. He talks about like some emotion arising, like an outer sort of physically based emotion, and then an inner kind of spiritually based love type emotion, um, that maybe we have sort of have outer and inner self, he's referring to it there. But then also that 
that this heat, that, that the love we feel is spiritual heat, and it doesn't seem like it, but it's just like it's doing in us what physical heat does in organisms. And that heat, being able to produce heat and have heat is a huge part of life. I mean, this is what, oh, you can generate your own heat. You can control your heat. So that heat is a big deal. You know, lizards have to sun themselves to get to the right heat. So he's saying that, that in us, if spiritually, our spiritual emotions, our feelings, our love is spiritual heat. All right, so that means we should be able to learn a little bit about the driving forces in us by looking at physical heat. And to do that is a hard thing because we're doing a video show. Right? How do you look at heat? Well, we found a way and we found it at a firehouse. So we took a little trip uh, to a firehouse nearby. Here's a video that we shot at it. Um, so we went there because we knew that they happened to have something that lets you see heat. They have this thermal camera that they use to look inside burning buildings, make sure it's safe. There's Matt, who works on our show. You can see his feet glowing because he's warmer than the background, and you can see him. You can see what parts of him are warmer, what parts are colder. For instance, he has cold hair. That says something about Matt. He's got cold hair. His teeth are a little colder than his forehead, you know? But also, the camera is so sensitive that when he walks by, we leave heat behind. The foot on the carpet leaves a little bit of heat. So heat is coming off our body all the time. That's what this camera is seeing. You don't think of it like that, but just as much as we're re reflecting light, we're reflecting and radiating heat, you know, the, or the physical equivalent of spiritual love. Uh, and that is a cartwheel that, uh, again, this is the second episode in a row I won a battle with the production team who, Matt particularly, didn't see the need for that in there, but I wanted it. I wanted that cartwheel. Okay, so victory for me. All right, so that that's just to give you a sense that heat is a big part. We don't think of it probably as much as light, but heat is a big part of who we are, and it's constantly coming off of us, and we're generating it. And to get a little further into the correspondence of it, in, in Heaven and Hell 481, Swedenborg says... When leave is given to examine the inner and outer aspects of the thoughts and affections of people engaged in heavenly love, the inner reaches look as though they were made of light, in some cases like the light of a flame, and their outer, outer manifestations are of various lovely colors, like a rainbow. In contrast, the inner reaches of people who are engaged in carnal love look gloomy because they are closed in, in some cases like a smoky fire for people who are inwardly maliciously deceptive. Their outer manifestations have an ugly color, depressing to look at. Both the inner and outer aspects of the mind and spirit are presented visually in the spiritual world whenever it so pleases the Lord. And when I saw that, that made me think of thermal imagery. And maybe you've seen something like this, where it's got color. Our camera didn't have it, but this is a photo someone took. And look at these people. Um, where they're warm, they, they glow bright white, and they have this colorful rainbow, like Swedenborg describes. And the colder parts of them are dark you know, and our, uh, this coldness, those dark blacks and browns, uh, that, that it just so happens modern color thermal imagery acts like what Swedenborg is saying, that, that love burns brightly, and the opposite which, of love, which is spiritual coldness, you know, evil, um, is dark. So I thought that was cool. Um, so that you can, with technology, we're sort of being getting the physical equivalent of what Swedenborg was able to see through his spiritual eyes and spiritual experiences back when he was having these. So that's one thing about it. I just want to mention in passing, I'm not a chemist, but I know that chemical reactions, uh, they can happen more quickly or are more likely to happen often when you turn the heat up. And I'm thinking about molecules. This is actually a caffeine molecule, if you guys drink coffee. Uh, and But 
that reminds me of people. The molecules in these reactions are like joining together and doing things together. The more heat there is, the more they do it. And isn't that like society, we work together more, we get things done if there's more love, right? So that's a simple one. I want to focus finally on how we're able to tell more sensitively the differences in light than we are in heat. You think about light, you can tell what wavelength something is by the color of it. But heat, it's like, oh yeah, that's warm, that's cold, but you can't like tell these different sorts of heat. And if you, uh, you know, so we we have sort of a, a finer tuned system for distinguishing different kinds of light than we do of heat. And I found something interesting in Swedenborg's uh, Spiritual Experiences, uh, 755, that I feel like reflects that. He says, when I was feeling or pleasantness, I did not know their source. For it is very difficult for a soul or spirit to distinguish between false or counterfeited delights and true or heavenly ones. Their sensation is still so gross that they cannot tell. So I feel like it's hard for, you know, it's sometimes hard to know what, you know, you can feel something that feels like, oh, this is really good, but it's not as good. Sometimes, you know, people who are, you know, everybody else knows people who are doing destructive things, uh, and why don't they see it? But to that person, they think, oh, I'm doing the right thing, I'm justified in this. We can't always tell what kind of heat we're dealing with. So I thought that was cool. All right, so we've looked at light, and we looked at heat, but you can't get anywhere in Swedenborg without him talking about how the two essential forces have to be joined. And we're going to look at why next. So, yeah, I mean, I call this the essential conjunction because you could, in a way, say this is the summary of everything Swedenborg, is you th- these two should be joined. That's sort of what it all comes down to, and I'll let him talk about it from in True Christianity number 389. He says, the divine design is that goodness and truth are to be united, not separated. They are to be one thing, not two. They are united when they emanate from God, and they are united in heaven. Therefore, they should be united in the church. And and by the way, church meaning not just an organization, but really he's talking about an internal state, that actually love and wisdom inside someone, that's a church. In heaven, the union of goodness and truth is called the heavenly marriage. All who are in heaven have this marriage. You see that? Everybody in heaven has the union of goodness and truth. So this is not a small deal. Heaven is the state, the mindset that we're all supposed to get to. I mean, this is this is God's intent, is to get people there. So, and, and what there is, is this union of love and wisdom. So that's how important it is to have the spiritual light and the spiritual heat together. So Swedenborg talks further in Divine Love and Wisdom 34, uh, a little bit about the nature of each. Divine love is a property of divine wisdom, and divine wisdom is a property of Love and wisdom are two distinguishable things, and yet they are so united that love is a property of wisdom, and wisdom is a property of love. And of course, we all think about the electromagnetic spectrum. <laughs> I can barely say it right. Uh, right? Didn't we have this same graphic up a few shows ago? Uh, all I'm saying is light and heat, you think of them as different, but infrared, I mean, that they're, they're on the same spectrum. You know, we have a part of these waves that we call visible light, but a little farther down there, you know? So that seems to me like physically light and heat are different yet the same, just like he's saying 
love and wisdom are different, yet the same. All right, moving on in Swedenborg, Divine Love and Wisdom 4. You can see Divine Love and Wisdom, there's a lot from this book on this because that book is um, kind of a description of the essence of life. You guys, should, it's a free download from the Swedenborg Foundation. Just, just click this book above me. It's pretty cool. You should check it out. God alone, the Lord, is love itself because he is life itself. Both we on earth and angels are life receivers. Spiritual warmth and spiritual light flow into us and affect not only angels, but also us, precisely to the extent that we become receptive. Our receptivity develops in proportion to our love for the Lord and love for our neighbor. And there you get at the essence or the substance of what Swedenborg would call regeneration, uh, which is kind of our job in the world. I mean, this is why we're here, is the joining of love and wisdom. He said, in proportion as we have love of the Lord and love of the neighbor, which if you've seen this before, that, that essentially means love for the human race and love for the means of helping the human race. So it boils down to being nice and, and having integrity. And the more that you can do that, the more you join these two together, you come into this divine design, you have your heat and your light together. And he, re- he sort of gives you the 10,000-foot view of the whole thing here in True Christianity 392. Truth and goodness are united like light and heat in springtime. I say this because spiritual light, which is the light that emanates from the sun in the spiritual world, is essentially truth. Therefore, wherever the truth appears in that world, it shines with a brightness that depends on how pure the truth is. The spiritual heat that emanates from that sun is essentially goodness. I state this because the same things apply to goodwill and faith that apply to good and truth. Goodwill is all the forms of good that we do for our neighbor combined. Faith is all the forms of truth that we think about God and about divine things combined. So, it's the joining. Um, So, I wanted to just say that that's super important. (laughs) Is that fair enough to say that that's, uh, that's a big part of Swedenborg. And it actually goes on a little more here in the second half of 392. Since the from faith is spiritual light and the goodness that comes from goodwill is spiritual heat, it follows that spiritual heat and light have properties similar to those of physical heat and light. And this is kind of what the whole show has been, hasn't it? Just as everything on earth blossoms when heat and light are united on earth, so everything in the human mind blossoms when heat and light are united in it. There is a difference, however, on earth, the heat and light that cause blossoming are physical, but in the human mind, the heat and light that cause blossoming are spiritual. Because the latter is a spiritual blossom, blossoming, it leads to wisdom and intelligence. So just like in spring, he says, we just had spring here on the east coast of the U.S., or we're in it, and there, this, the light and the heat get together. Over the winter, you had light, but you didn't have enough heat, nothing grows. When those two get together, then everything sprouts and sprouts fast. It blossoms and blooms. And he's saying that that same thing, when we get both the love and the wisdom in our mind, wisdom and intelligence grow in the same way. It's sort of like before we have this love and heat, we're like a frozen field. There's nothing. There's nothing. Okay, everybody, this is Curtis. I'm here for real now. Uh, you may have noticed that we kind of clipped there. I was telling you this beautiful thing about a frozen field and how great that was. Uh, we had some technical issues, and now uh, I'm back. <laughs> so I'm going to say, imagine without our picture, you're a frozen field with a picture of frozen dirt. Nothing's coming up. When this love and this uh, wisdom, 
there's good and there's truth come together. It's like springtime, and then there's a sprout, okay? You can picture that. We don't have to have pictures for it. All right, just glad to be back. Now, what we're going to do here is go to our final section, which is what it means, which we don't have our little intro for it, but that's okay. It just looked like the other ones. All I was going to say about what it means uh, is that this is something that gives you a picture of not only the nature of God, that you can look at things and and get a, a picture of the nature of God from them, but also gives you something into some insights into psychology. That if I have the basic building blocks that, oh, love and heat affect the mind the way light and, uh, I mean, love and wisdom affect the mind the way that light and heat affect uh, soil ecosystems, then from there, I can take that and get into all kinds of things. Like if I'm gardening, which I try to do every once in a while, um, it can be like a treasure trove of little insights. If I think this is the mind, well, look at how hard this plant is to move. This is like a stubborn idea, or wow, it makes such a difference. This plant's here, it grows a ton. This one's here, it doesn't, it barely grows at all, and it's just because this spot gets more light. You start to think about it in terms of the mind. If you're armed with just the basics, you can have all kinds of insights. So that's what I feel like it means to me. All right, so that's my wrap-up on it. Now, we're going to take your questions and comments that you guys have been putting in, and we're going to do some answering of those. So, we're going to have a video break that we go to now, and we'll get settled, and then we'll be there. All right, stay tuned. So, cool. We're here. Let's see how this whole conversation was striking everyone out there and what kinds of insights and questions you have. Let's get to our first question, which we have Barb N. on YouTube. Can the spiritual world exist without the physical world? Oh, yeah, man. The answer, according to, according to me, is who knows, but according to Swedenborg, the answer is no. Uh, the, the, world's, the, the, the physical world is like the foundation you know, there's like a physical, like a house needs a foundation. This spiritual world is what's up top. That it's not like we're just a luxury or we're just something that you have to get through. That even angels, as they exist, they're connected to us just like we're connected to them. You know, and that they're using, uh, we're, that we're providing them a service like they're providing us many awesome services. So certainly there is this interdependence, just like all the different systems of a human body. That the, the physical world is like the hand, or like the feet. You know, like the, the the legs and feet or calves and feet, like lower down part. And without that, the rest of the body, everything above it, wouldn't do very well. Or going outer inner, it's like the skin. If you didn't have the skin, the body wouldn't do well. So the physical world is of utmost importance. So we're not just getting through here to get done so we can go to the other place, right? This is, there's a lot of important stuff going on here, and it's this is a part of the whole. And the more healthy this world is, the more healthy everything is. So that's what I think about that. Thanks for the question. Let's take a look at our next one. This is from Lee on YouTube. The Swedens, does Swedenborg say where he, God, was when he said, let there be light in correspondence to heaven location? Um, yeah, you know, Swedenborg talks, says, don't think of creation in terms of time and space. That God is present in all time and all space without being, I'm sure you've heard of that before, but that, that, um, 
that there's not really like oh there's heaven here but god is always above heaven and within heaven at the same time he direction in the spiritual world as he describes it it's it's all relative to god that god is the focal point and that actually you move yourself around that world based on your acceptance of this love and wisdom that we've been talking about in this episode so there there is this all trajectories are sort of based in god. so god was where god is you know the the spot um and that that everything else is kind of around that but but it's not like there's there's an appearance where you can seem like you're really far from God, but God is still there, but you're farther away in terms of your receptivity. So there's a few confusing things that I wanted to say when I saw your question. So thank you very much. Okay, let's take a look at the next one. This is, oh, again from Lee on YouTube. Does Swedenborg speak of auras and color around about our spiritual body and our earthly body in correspondence to the level of our love and wisdom? Yes, in Secrets of Heaven, I'm trying to think of which book it is. I think it's the second one. He just has a whole series uh, of passages about auras, and that this is something that he certainly res- uh, re- uh, reported, is the word I'm looking for, reported seeing, and that they were absolutely linked to what kind of people we were. Uh, that here, we, in this episode, we talked about heat coloring us that that certainly that that your aura is an extension of you it's like you could see a little bit of it and see the person so it looks like you look inside so certainly everything all all the 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 kinds of love and wisdom that we've received the things we've let grow in the garden of the mind that's what shows up in this this sort of sphere and he says that that i think that that corresponds to smell so just like you know you can something smells fishy you know, you can tell the nature of something by smelling it. That's kind of like the aura is that just on a much grander scale in the, in the next world. Okay, excellent. Let's take a look at another one. Jim, YouTube. Hi, Curtis. Hey, man. A question. Can a spirit advance from lower hell levels to higher levels? Can a spirit be demoted? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, and it seems like there's a lot of that going on in the early periods after people die. That, that there's all kinds of movement up and down, um, but it seems so. And that that's just in some. And that there's nobody. Most people, even with if, if their final destination is somewhere, they go through all these other places first to to be processed. And we're actually going to talk a lot about that next week. So I hope you'll watch that one. But he does. It does also seem that there's less of that kind of movement as time goes on because you get to where you love it. And, and you get to where you're the most happy. Um, I don't think you get demoted as in, what we were all here, you stole somebody's angelic crown, so you're going down. I mean, there's there's highs and lows, but you're not like cast, punished and, and cast, cast out in that sort of way. But definitely also check out next week's episode, which is going to be on um, how you go to heaven or hell. Okay, so thanks for that. Let's take a look at another one. Uh, Micah on YouTube. Swedenborg was apparently able to see the way things were in the past, e.g. the way people looked in the most ancient church. How did he gain such knowledge? Yeah, great question. And it's not that he time-traveled, it's that he met those people. And this actually references the previous question, because those people from the most ancient church, they're still alive in the spiritual world. The, the, the body is the, the, I mean, the spirit is the mind, and the mind continues living. Uh, it, it's not finite. It doesn't have a, it's going to die in a hundred years. It just goes, you know, you're just living. Uh, and that, so he could go visit these people 
from these eras, because those people, you, you take the life you live in the world with you to a certain extent. Not everything's the same, but there is a lot of um, what, you, what you make yourself here stays with you. So people from that era, there's similarities. They're not all living exactly the same, but there's a similarity in how they look and how they live um, to how they were when they were in the world. Of course, I was growing and changing, but that's how I believe he saw a lot of that. But then also, in the spiritual world, he describes things like representations or sort of visual learning, that, that that's everywhere. So it could be that somebody downloaded a bunch of that into his head as well. I, you know, it could be a combination of the two. So that's what I have to say about that. That's a great question. Two more we have here today. Let's take a look at the first one. Elena, um, uh, YouTube, I may have missed this, but what are some hallmarks of spiritual truth as distinguished from rational truth? Yeah, man, um, that's a great question. Swedenborg gets talks about a lot of species of truth. Um, generally, spiritual truths would be about spiritual things, and by that I mean ethical things mixed with an awareness of the greater realities of life, meaning nature of God, nature of life after death, those kinds of things. That rational truth is more worldly focused, and it also has to do with how you use it, that spiritual things are, you know, things progress, get higher, wisdom gets higher as you use it for love, and I think it has to do with the, the joining of the two. But certainly he, and he uses a lot of different words in a lot of different translations at a lot of different times, because he'll talk about like memory knowledges, as, as it used to be called, I don't know what they call it now, but those are just like like facts, like physical facts, but then there are things like where, you know, God's omnipresence or something is a different kind of thing. But but a lot of it, wisdom really goes upwards when it has to do with love, when it has to do with being kind to people. So something goes in the spiritual direction, the more it's about living and using it and being kind. So the answer is, I don't know, you have to do a little further study to really get some good answers about that, but that's off the top of my head. So thanks for that. Um, one new question is now. Barb, YouTube. Is there anything that isn't matter of some kind, even kinds that we don't understand, can't measure yet? Is an aura matter? Yeah, I don't know. The answer is I don't know. Uh, you know, here in in the physical world, you find, well, you know, matter, but now they're saying that matter is just energy behaving in certain ways. So, what that, everything is something, like smell is particles, you know, but what is that at its core? Is it just information? Is it just probability? The, the jury's not even out on the physical world, so everything is something, but but what that thing is and what that's like in the spiritual world, and I, I don't know for sure. Those are my, those are my best guesses, and, and that's all I can do. That's all I can get. All right. Thank you, guys. Great questions, insightful, interesting, as always. Really appreciated getting to discuss this. It's like sort of obscure stuff, but it's cool to know there's an audience out there that wants to hear about it, so that makes my job fun and easy. I love being the host of this show with you guys, and I want you here next week. If that's cool, we're going to talk about how you end up in hell or in heaven. So please hang out with us then next Monday night, same time. Oh, and if you want to uh, help out the Swedenborg Foundation, make this uh, kind of programming possible, consider becoming a member. We're having our membership drive. It's 20 bucks for a year, 
uh, and it supports the the foundation, which is a, a nonprofit organization. Uh, you can open up the description below, make your donation, become a member, see more about it. You also get perks like with membership. You get free books, uh, other kinds of benefits. So, if you'd be willing to, you know, spend a, a dollar and a something a month uh, on these on the foundation and and the programming we make, that would be awesome. So think about it. As I said, the link to donate is in the and we'll see oh hey there's our uh, there's our you can just click this thing click it right now uh and that will also help you donate okay thanks everybody see you next week